0: And here in this space, we're gonna have fun as we gather around God's word. Uh, we're gonna to turn to Philippians chapter four. If you have your Bibles, it's the fourth chapter of Philippians. We're gonna be reading verses 10 through 13. If you don't have your Bibles with you, the words will be on the screen behind me. We can follow along together as we hear the word of the Lord. Philippians four, 10 through 13. I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me Indeed you were concerned but you had no opportunity to show it. I am now saying this because I am I am not saying this because I am in, in need for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I could do all this through him who gives me strength. This is God's word offered to us in its reading and in its hearing. Together we give thanks to Lord God Almighty.
1: Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning with joyful hearts, God, and with breath in our lungs. And Father, we are so thankful to be meeting here in your house. Father, we invite you into the space, and God, we welcome your presence this morning and worship as you light our hearts on fire with, with song. And now, Father, I ask that you allow us to Dive into your word with open hearts and open minds that God we would receive the message this morning. That Father you would use me as a vessel that God, I would say no words that would offend you in your ears, that Father, what I say would be what you want. Father, we thank you for this time. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Good morning, everybody. How are we doing? My name is Peyton Ruddick, and I am the youth director here at Covenant, if I had not had the pleasure of meeting you. And funny enough, being the youth director, that when uh, Jason asked me to preach the end of July, I had no idea what I was going to be preaching on. And about two weeks ago, I realized that I was going to be preaching on the most overused youth passage in the history of Christianity, Philippians 4.13. I can do all this through Christ who strengthens me. I was like, perfect. I'm giving the FCA um, you know, message here. Uh, but it was good because Philippians 4.13 is not one of my favorite uh, scriptures. It's a scripture that to me always felt like a platitude. It felt like something that people were just saying to make me feel good. Like, oh, you can do anything as long as Christ is beside you, right? Kind of. I've never made a hole in one, but um, I invited him into that space a couple times, but I've never made a hole in one. And so, I was excited because I got to dive in and find the context around this this scripture, right, that keeps continuously used, and and context is such a big part of my own faith and my own faith journey and how I study the Bible, so I was excited to dive in and look at the context around this and realize that what Paul was giving the Philippians was a platitude. (laughs) He was placating them. He was essentially doing what we would do as adults if our parents give us money. You know what I'm talking about? Like, if your parents were like, hey here's some money, you know, uh, just to help you out. And you kind of like, oh, you know, thank you. I I don't need it. Like, I'm doing okay on my own. I don't need your help and support, but but I appreciate it nonetheless. And that's essentially what Paul was doing, but in the essence of that, Paul beautifully gives us this definition of Christian contentment. He gives us this definition of Christian contentment, and it... um, it comes, sorry, it comes at a time that he does this because uh, in chapter two, sorry, I'm gonna back up for a second. I got ahead of myself. So in chapter two, Paul, he's giving a placation because Paul gets money from Philippians. They send Epaphrodites and he brings him gifts. And Philippians has always been one of the biggest donors towards Paul's ministry, Paul's mission. And so he sends this and Paul's writing back and he's saying, hey, thanks for everything. And here, is why I'm happy for it, but I don't need it. Because I have found contentment. And he gives us his definition of contentment. And it's interesting, because our definition of contentment seems so at odds with Paul's. Because I don't know about you all, but I've always kind of had a little bit of a a negative connotation with the word contentment. Because if I'm content with where I am, then I'm not progressing, I'm not moving forward, right? If I'm content to be here, then I'm content not to move forward. That was the way that I've always looked at contentment. And... It's interesting because we can see that in our daily interactions. Discontentment has become such a part of who we are as a society that if I'm to ask you how you're doing, and now all of you are going to think about this the next time someone asks you this, which is going to be fun for me, but the next time I ask you how you're doing, everyone says, good, busy, but I'm good, right? Busyness is like something we have to have. We have to tell everyone else like, hey, I'm good. I'm not just sitting still though. I'm, I'm busy. Or I'm good, but I'm tired, which in itself tells us, I'm tired because we're busy. We have to be progressing. If we're not progressing, then we're lazy. We're useless. We're useless as society. We have to be doing better and better. And so we've gotten this definition of discontentment so ingrained into us that we actually put it up on a pedestal. We put discontent as a society up on a pedestal. And if you don't believe me, I've got four letters for you. T-G-I-F. Thank God it's Friday because I've been discontent Monday through Thursday, but we've reached the weekend and it's time for happy hour. No work for three days. Just got to go to church for an hour, so I feel good about that. Discontent is a part of our everyday life. And discontent was such a part of my own personal journey that until about February of this year, I was very discontent as a human being because I realized that In order to find success in everything that I did, my key to my success was always thinking of myself as a disappointment. I was always a disappointment. And by being disappointed in myself, I always strive to do better. So even if I did something great, I always knew I could do it a little bit better. For example, do you all remember back in grade school, I don't know if they do it anymore, but we did times tables. Do you guys remember doing times tables? We had to do a bunch of math problems in a minute. You do like 60 math problems or 100 math problems or something. So when we did those times tables in second grade and third grade, my goal was to get 100% on it every single time because we did it once a week. But not only that, after I started getting 100% every time, it was I had to do it faster than I did it the last time. That was the way that I've always fed myself. And I've been very successful at everything I've picked up and done because I've always thought of myself as a disappointment. But that thought process permeates the rest of your life. You start realizing you're not happy. In about February, I was going through a study here at the church, and I realized that I had been unhappy for a very long time. And that I needed to start searching for contentment. So this was a beautiful, beautiful message for me to get to dive into. And y'all may not have been as far gone as me, but I'm sure everyone has this kind of uneasiness that we always feel like we have to be moving forward, right? We always feel like we have to be progressing. We always feel like we have to be doing something else. And so we need to come back to The definition of what content really means. So we've kind of, as a society, replaced content with complacent. So complacent means that you don't care about the outcome at all, or you only care about the outcome and you don't care how you got there, versus content, which means you're happy with the journey and you're okay no matter what the outcome is. It's a very subtle difference, so I'm going to say it again. Complacency means that you are results-driven. You either don't care about the results at all, or you do not care about how you got the results you got. Versus content, which means you're happy no matter where the results are, you're focused on the journey you're taking. And so this results focus is really the basis that we find ourselves at contentment when Paul starts talking. He starts talking not about results, but about the journey. And so as we dive in, he talks in in verses 10 through 12 about this journey that he's taken. And he gives us examples of what it looks like to be content in relationships, to be content with his earthly possessions, to be content with his own well-being and destiny and future. And so let's dive back into the scripture here. Let's look at uh, verse 10 where Paul... um, (laughs) awkwardly yet beautiful, beautifully, sorry, Paul writes an awkward yet beautifully sentimental sentence. In verse 10, he says, I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. So Paul was giving us a glimpse into what it means to be content in a relationship. And we could probably spend an entire sermon talking, on, talking about what it means to be content in relationships, but it was important enough that I felt like we needed to at least discuss it for a second here. Because what he's saying is relationships aren't this give and take that we always kind of think of it as. We, we kind of default to relationships as what am I giving someone in this and what am I getting out of it a lot. It becomes transactionary, right? If this person loves me, then they will. He doesn't love me anymore because he's not buying me flowers. She doesn't love me anymore because she won't let me go golf with the guys on the weekend. Whatever it might be, we start looking at how do we interact with each other? Are we getting anything out of this? Are we giving anything? And relationships get broken because of that versus content relationships. And I'm gonna pick some low-hanging fruit here to make my point. But as a father and a husband, if my wife was to forget my birthday or my kids were to forget Father's Day because it's Father's Day and no one really remembers it, but if they were to forget it, I wouldn't feel those relationships are broken. I would be content in knowing they love me without those outward shows of affection. Now, if they remember, I'm going to rejoice in that and I'm going to love them and love them for doing that. But I don't need it to know that they love me. And that's exactly what Paul was saying here. He was saying, Philippians, I knew that y'all loved me and I rejoice in the fact that you have this ability in this time where you can outwardly show it by supporting my ministry. But I didn't need that to know that y'all loved me. I was perfectly content in this relationship. And like I said, I pick some low-hanging fruit, and as these relationships get into friendships or work or acquaintances, we start thinking more into it. If my best friend forgot my birthday, are they still my best friend? If this person didn't come over and hang out with me, sorry, I'm used to speaking to kids, so I speak their language. If this person didn't come over and hang out with me on Friday night, they don't like me. If my boyfriend didn't spend time with me, then he must not like me. If my girlfriend didn't come to my football game, then she must not like me. We make these ifs, we make these limitations on a relationship. And what Paul was saying is if you are truly content in your relationships, you won't worry about these outward affections. You know what's in their heart because you know what that relationship means. And relationships get harder and harder depending on what it is, right? Like, there's some easy relationships, like I talked about with my wife. We have a pretty good relationship. Still happy? We're still happy. We're still good. Um, We have harder relationships, and I honestly think the hardest relationship that we have is the relationship we have with ourselves. when it comes to contentment. I think it's easy to be in a relationship with others and content with others, but I think it's very difficult for us to be content with ourselves. and that's what Paul starts talking to us about in verses 11 and 12. He says, I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. To be content in whatever circumstances. Now, that is a serious undertaking. That's a serious undertaking, to be content through anything and everything, to be content when you are triumphant, to be content when you are in the lowest of lows, when you're walking through the darkest of valleys. If I was to tell all of you that none of us was going to eat until Wednesday, how many of y'all would be content with that? My wife can't be content if she doesn't eat dinner. So, my children are two and five. They're never content because they're two and five. (laughs) Contentment, we put these limitations on it. How many of y'all, if I say, are you content in your life, and I give you a second to think about it, can really say, I am content? How many of y'all said... I'll be content if I had a little bit more money. I'll be content when I get through this next project at work. I'll be content when I finally get to vacation. Or, here's a good one, parents, I'm going to be content on August 16th when my kids go back to school. <laughs> right? We put limitations on our, content, our own contentment. We put limitations on our own contentment. I've never spoken to someone I don't think that is truly content because even when we put those limitations, we keep moving goalposts, right? So like, think about what you thought, you know, I'll be content when I get through this project at work. As soon as you get through that project at work, you're happy about it. But What do you immediately start thinking about? The next project, the next goalpost, right? And that's how we do it. We're still results focused. We're still entirely results focused. How are we supposed to find contentment in this world if by definition this world is focused on results and co- focused on complacency, like we award winners, <laughs> we don't reward losers. We are results driven. I was in sales, I lived and died by the quota, right? Any other sales brethren and sisters in here? Yeah, you live and die by the quota. Athletes, who do we pay the most to? People that are the best. And how about this? They know they have to be the best, so what do they do if they aren't the best? They take steroids. <laughs> right? We cheat. Or we skirt the guidelines as long as it gets the results we want to get to. The best quote that I've heard with it was, and it's not the best, but it's one that I've heard that stuck in my mind this week uh, was, "When we were playing games with the youth, I have some youth that like to say, "If you ain't cheating, you ain't trying." We are a results-focused society. So how do we get away from being results-focused? How do we, as Christians, rebel against this complacency this world has to offer us? How do we find contentment in a results-driven world? Well, Paul tells us that he has the secret. He has the secret. In 12, he says, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation whether well fed or hungry whether living in plenty or in want i can do all this through him who gives me strength so when we look at the overall definition of what paul was telling us he's saying i can do all of this i can endure all of this through christ because i know who christ is i know what he did for me it takes this from not from being Uh, a Jesus that we essentially treat like a a can of spinach in a Popeye cartoon. You guys remember Popeye? For those of you that don't know Popeye or are younger than 35 because pro- we're probably like the last generation that remembers Popeye. But Popeye was this cartoon character, and he was a sailor man, and he has this can of spinach that would somehow magically pop up from anywhere and everywhere in every single episode. Dude would be in the middle of a desert, and like a can of spinach would be there at the end of the episode. And he was always getting beat by Brutus, this big, hulking dude. And he always had to save olive oil, who was like a stick running around. And, <laughs> and so he would eat this spinach and he would get big and he could do anything as long as he ate his spinach. And when we look at I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, we think of Christ as being a can of spinach. <laughs> and what Paul was saying is he's not a can of spinach. He can get me through hunger. He can get me through beatings. He can get me through facing death. He can keep me humble and honest and, hum- and, and have humility when I am triumphant. He can remind me that my victories aren't my own. He's a Lord worth serving. He's a Lord worth getting behind. And so now you're sitting there going, all right, all right. So you've told us the secret. I doubt any of y'all saw this was coming because it's a Sunday morning and we're at church. The secret to Paul's contentment is Jesus. That felt really underwhelming, didn't it? Like you, you kind of expect to be told the secret to all happiness is Jesus when you come to church. But Paul does more than that. He does more than just tell us that the secret is Christ. He shows it to us in how he lives. If we go to 2 Corinthians, we find a beautiful example of this. So 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 8 through 10 say, We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death, but this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us again. On him, we have set our hope, and he will continue to deliver us. So we see Paul's secret, his most guarded secret, on display here beautifully. Because there's no goalpost that he can continue to set forth the beginning of that passage, he says that we were facing death itself. We had given up. There was beyond anything we could endure. There's no goalpost that he can move to. There's no, hey, if I get to the end of this 5k, I get a breather. When I get through this project, I'll be content. It was, we might die. And he found himself content knowing that. Because he understood that he serves a God who had raised the dead. He understood that even if this is the end of my life's journey, Jesus is going to welcome me into his loving arms when I get to heaven. And there's a beautiful peace in that that he gets to find his contentment in. And then he goes on to elaborate and he says, but if God is to deliver us from this place, to deliver us from this certain death that we face... Then I'll know that God saved me, that God has a purpose. And this, everybody, this is Paul's secret. That in all circumstances, his contentment comes because he is constantly seeking out God's purpose for him. He's constantly seeking out God's purpose for him. When he's in narrow straits, when he's in prison, he's writing letters because he understands that his ministry can continue. When he's triumphant, he knows that it's God doing this and that he needs to move on to the next thing. He knows that when he goes to a village and they don't accept what he's preaching, that he can get up and he can move to the next one. Paul didn't go into his ministry saying, hey, if I convert 20,000 or 30,000 people, then I've got it. I'm done. I'm good. If y'all remember, he says, when I end this, when I end this world and I've run this race I've been told to run, I'll know that I did this. I did this thing for God and I'll go home happy. I'm paraphrasing because I'm not good at memorizing stuff out of the Bible. But that's essentially what he's saying. He's saying when I run this race, when I've finished this journey, it'll be good no matter what happened during this journey because he focused on the journey. He focused on God's purpose for him in each and every situation. That's something that all of us can do. All of us can do this thing because we know who jesus is we know that if we are facing the worst circumstances of our life if we're facing death itself at the end of that road god has us in his arms and we know that if we're facing difficulty at work that we feel like we're never going to get through that jesus is there alongside us and he has a purpose for us my wife does an incredible job of this she'll come home and be like hey you know, this has been bad. This has been bad. This has been bad. But I think I'm there because this person asked me something today and I got to do just a little bit of witnessing to them. She's so good at that. I used to come home from sales and all I did was complain. And then I'd hear her say something like that. It would remind me that hey, I might not be there because I'm supposed to be happy in this moment. But I'm there because I might be able to help someone else out of a dark spot. God has a purpose for us in each and every moment of our lives. And if we focus on that journey with him instead of focus on the end results, we're going to find contentment in that journey despite what happens. Now, I always start my process for preaching about a week in advance. And uh, so last Sunday, I kind of sat and I was like, all right, let's start digging into the word here. And as I did it, uh, it was my night to read to Cullen. So Cullen is our oldest son, and he is um, painful to put to bed, to say the least, uh, he does not want to go to sleep. He never wants to shut down. He has fear of missing out, FOMO, like you can't believe, even if it's 10 30 at night and he can barely keep his eyes open. He will somehow like reinvigorate himself and like keep bouncing to stay awake. <laughs> and so we figured out that a way to get him to sleep is reading to him. So we've read, we've read to him his entire life, and right now he gets three books every night three like kids' books, and then Harry Potter until he passes out. And the way I know he's passed out is uh, I start like changing out some of the words and he loves dinosaurs. And so I'll like put a dinosaur word in there. So like instead of saying Harry's name, I'll say like Velociraptor. And if he reacts, he's like, there's no Velociraptor in Harry Potter. I'm like, ah, oh, you're right, buddy, lay back down. But if he doesn't react, I'm like, perfect, light off, let's go. Um, <laughs> so last week, uh, it was, and we, we switch off, so Sam and I switch off every night. One of us reads to one kid, one of us reads the other. And uh, last week on Sunday, it was my turn to read to Cullen. And he picked out his three books, and he picked out a book, um, that was so perfect for this week that I couldn't help but figure out a way to read it to you all today. So sit back for the next couple of minutes and enjoy a children's book <laughs> because Jesus told us that we should approach our faith as what? The mind of a child, as children. So I think, Aiden, you got me? Thank you, sir. So this is a book by a photographer friend of mine um, He does incredible landscape photography and decided he wanted to write a book showing kids how beautiful the world was. And so we bought the book as a way to kind of like, you know, help support Chris and what he had done. But it turned out to be one of our favorite books of all time. Like, we love this kid's book. And the journey this kid goes on uh, is beautifully reflected of what Paul was talking about for contentment. And uh, y'all don't get the first page because I messed up on scanning it. So that's the second page says, there once was a boy who spoke to the earth, and the earth spoke back. Earth, are you listening? My boy, I am always listening. Where can I find happiness? The journey to happiness is difficult, but I can show you the way, said the earth. Are you willing to make the journey? Oh, I am, said the boy, and he meant it. Then go to the ocean where the waves tower overhead, said the earth. So the boy began to walk. I see the water and the shells, said the boy, but I don't see happiness. Then go to the cliffs where the water is always flowing, said the earth. So the boy waited and he wandered until he left the waves behind. I see the spray and the moss, said the boy, but I don't see happiness. Then go to the forest where the trees gather together, said the earth. So the boy stepped and he strode until he left the moss behind. I see the roots and the leaves, said the boy, but I don't see happiness. Then go to the desert where the red stone guards the way, said the earth. So the boy hiked and he hauled until he left the trees behind. He said, I see the sand and the stone, said the boy, but I don't see happiness. Then go to the mountains where the peaks touch the clouds, said the earth. So the boy trekked and he trudged until he left the sand behind. I see the rocks and the brush, said the boy, but I don't see happiness. Then go to the top of the world where the lights dance in the sky, said the earth. So the boy climbed and he crawled until he left the peaks behind. I see the ice and the snow, said the boy, but I don't see happiness. And this time, the earth didn't answer. So the boy walked and he walked and he walked until he left it all behind. He said, I've traveled so far and seen so much, but I still haven't found happiness. Earth, are you listening, cried the boy. My boy, did you look without seeing, asked the earth. Go back along the trail, but this time stand still for just a moment. So he went back and he looked again. And for the first time, the boy truly saw that happiness was all around him. Y'all, it's not about the results. It's not about the, journey. it's not about the destination. We miss so much when we focus on the destination. It's about the journey. It's about going along and asking ourselves what's God's purpose for us? Why am I here? and seeing the incredible joy that he's put in every situation. The joy of being able to serve him and serve others, and see others happy, and in that find happiness yourself. Contentment doesn't mean going through the world like a robot, completely devoid of emotion. We see Paul lament. We see him mourn. We see him embrace joy, but underneath every bit of it is this sense of I'm gonna be okay. I'm good because I've got Christ at my side. I'm good because I know God has a purpose for me no matter what happens. And I'm good knowing that even if this is the end, it isn't the end because I serve a God, I serve a Lord that has overcome even death for me. See so y'all, next time when we walk out of this place, I hope you'll see the joy and the beauty and the happiness that God has surrounded us with. Humility, with humbleness, a Lord that would serve those who need to be served, a Lord that would cry with those that need to be cried with, a Lord that would celebrate, a Lord that would create wine when the wedding just needed to keep going. Father, we know that you have a purpose for all of us, and so God, as we go from this place, I ask that you would just fill our hearts with a constant curiosity to understand what you have for us in each and every place, that, Father, we would focus on the journey you've put before us, that we would see the joy that you've surrounded with us with. And, Father, it's with that joy that now we come to you with our gifts and our offerings, Father. We ask that you would bless them, that you would bless this ministry, that, God, we would use these gifts to further your kingdom. God, we love you, and we thank you for this time and for this word. And it's in your name we pray.
0: Amen.